on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of footy. Afternoons with Francis Leach for the Volvo Summer Sale on now. At 25 minutes past two, time to catch up with Carlos Alberto Diego. Di Maria hit them as we know with his left foot just like that. He scores again. It's 3-0 here. Ecstasy for Paris Saint-Germain. Looking for Cavani, can hit it and does hit it. 4-0. They swept forward again and they swept aside Barcelona again. It was some performance, Paris Saint-Germain in Paris in the UEFA Champions League round of 16, only the first leg, but it was a 4-0 result for the Parisians over the might of Barcelona. And uh, maybe, just maybe, the first signs it's the empire in Catalonia is under threat. Carlos Alberto Diego is with me to talk the world game. Hey, Francis, how are you going? Afternoon, sir. You know how big that performance is when you get Martin Tyler's voice just cracking a bit. It's almost like he's reaching puberty, <laughs> the, way, the way he was cracking. Uh, I'll tell him you said that. Uh, uh, no, well, I, we spoke to him yesterday yeah, the week, so you? I'll tell him the stuff. So he, um, he, I don't know, the, the way he called that goal, I mean, the guy oh, calls uh, hundreds of games every year. He's done it for about 25 years or 30 years. And, uh, and when you get him uh, that excited, you know that it's a special moment. Uh, what, what that means, uh, you know, is it? The arrival of a, a new superpower in world football, and we're talking about we're talking about superpower. Not only good players that, that achieve things, but the money behind them, the uh, the Kuwaiti sports well, investment. We've, we've group, been waiting for it, haven't we? Because yeah. this is the latest. For those who don't follow close, this is the latest incarnation of the sort of Middle Eastern petrodollar superpower. So. Uh, it's a lot of money's been poured in there. An owner with deep, deep pockets and mm. ambitions that match Manchester City and a few other clubs around the world. And, yeah, uh, th- these are the sort of signposts you go. Okay, the money's starting to talk. It's interesting though. You know, they've been ploughing in money. The, the Qatari Sports Investment Group has owned this club since 2011, and since then they've won every La Liga since then, and they've won a couple of uh, Copa del Kissing Your Sisters in France too, which don't mean much these days. But you know, they've won a couple of those. Uh, but they've always been threatening in the knockout stages of Champions League, but just qu- not quite got there. Uh, today was emphatic, the way they went about it. Uh, Angel Di Maria, a player I thought was on a scrap heap at Manchester United, gets picked by, by PSG. I, I, don't, I don't follow the uh, Ligue 1 that, that closely, so I didn't know how well he's going. But today, the way he played is uh, suddenly back on the world map, that's for sure. 9-14, if you want to join the conversation with Carlos talking about the, the Champions League overnight, the Premier League on the weekend, the, uh, the A-League as well. 9-14, uh, Look, Di Maria had rotten luck at Manchester United and, and part of the story was that he only just arrived in Manchester, was living in that uh, that big compound mm. outside of Manchester where all the football stars live, basically live in the yeah. big estate in the big houses. And there was, a, you might remember, there was a series of very well-organised and quite uh, violent robberies mm. of footballers' houses around that time. Well, his family, his wife and children were caught up in one of those soon after he arrived in Manchester and he never really and you can understand they were traumatised yeah. by it. Well that makes and sense he never now. really recovered and just want, I, by all accounts wanted to get the hell out of there because of that. Like yeah. It just ruined any chance of him being a star. United. Well he came from Real Madrid and Real Madrid sold him for big money. He was a reluctant he reluctantly left Real Madrid and so when he went to Manchester United I thought he was one of the sulking foreigners who just didn't want to settle got paid big money and he played that way so that what you've just said makes a lot of sense to me and when he left Man U after a, you know a, a quite an ordinary time and went to PSG I thought at 29 he's on the scrap heap you know even at that level where you suddenly 
going from Real Madrid to PSG, even in those days with PSG a couple of years ago, um, you know, for me, I didn't think that they were, a, they were sort of the big club in investment-wise and money-wise, but I didn't think they were a big club that could trouble all the big teams around the world. But uh, the way he played today, uh, Cavani, the way he scored, he took his goal today. Draxler, 23-year-old German uh, uh, international who's just a star. And for me, for him to go to, from Germany to France, uh, you know, coming from Wolfsburg to France, uh, you know, in the he's not even reached his peak yet. I'm thinking there's something special happening at PSG, and uh, who knows, you know, uh, they've got to negotiate the return leg yet, Francis, uh, in oh, New Camp. Well, I think 4-0 might be just enough. Well, <laughs> Having not conceded an away goal. Well, we're talking about the Barcelona team. I've got a little bit of faith in them still at New Camp. They score a couple early, and you might say, well, well you know, how can they... Well, they've got Neymar. They've got Messi and they've got Suarez and they're fired up. And when they go back home, don't you reckon? I mean, already Luis Louis Enrique's uh, uh, fighting the media in press conferences and stuff. The siege mentality, those guys' backs against the wall. Get a couple early at home? I don't know. I mean, they've got to score five if they don't, if they don't uh, um, you know, allow uh, PSG to score in the way goal. They've got to score six if they get one away goal against them. So, uh, I don't know. If there's one team that can do this... It might be Barcelona. It makes for a very interesting return. So 94291116, or you can send through a text message, 0433981116. Dean's in Crib Point. And he asked a relevant question. Uh, with the Super Classico being announced here in Melbourne in June, with Argentina and Brazil playing each other, uh, will Angel Di Maria, uh, Higuain and, and Lionel Messi make the trip? They have to, don't they? Well, th- I think they've... I think from... Uh, according to John Aaron... Uh, the uh, the minister for for sport and the major events and so forth. In his in his announcement, he sort of suggested because obviously that's a big question these days. We're all mature enough, we're all experienced enough to know that they can announce these things. But are the big players coming? Well, apparently it's it, it can be. It, it's a lead up to some World Cup qualifiers and some games where these guys have to be part of the squad anyway. So uh, they may not play full games. Uh, they may just sort of have little cameo appearances here and there. But I think they've got to travel because it's uh, it's preparation for bigger games down the track. Yeah, well, at last look, I think Argentina are about... And that is the toughest World Cup qualifying group in South America, I reckon. So they're fifth currently at the moment. They've got four World Cup qualifiers coming off the back of uh, their trip to Australia. So Mm. I guess they kind of have to get in gear. That's right. And then, and I think that's the timing sort of works in that respect. And it's the same with Brazil too. So, um, look, they, they won't... Look, they'll probably be here just sort of ticking over their legs you and so what? forth. I can tell you, yeah. and you will know this, there's no way that that's a friendly. There is no such thing hmm. when Argentina True. plays Brazil. True. There's just yep. <laughs> it's too much. It's just a, if they play in a World Cup or they play in a Copa America, there's a little bit more edge to it. But you're right. I On think a friendly, day, yeah, friendly. It's like a you know a Liverpool Everton game, a friendly between Liverpool Everton. It's like any big derby around the world. And there are you know people still judge those two teams playing against each other, even if they're not uh, in serious competition. And I think it's only the second second or third time outside of tournament competition and that they've actually played each other offshore. So it's a huge get for for Australia. I mean, whoever organised this and managed to attract these two, of course, money. Talk so they would have had to put up a heap, a heap of money for the and the uh, the understanding that the, their best players come if they can uh, manage that that's a huge coup for Australian football. Yeah, this is, I guess we're a little bit burnt by this, aren't we? Remember when Brazil toured here about oh, seventeen or eighteen years ago? We we're expecting <laughs> yep. a, 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 a full strength Brazilian World Cup winning team around that time uh, to come out, and we got a second or third string team yeah. at the MCG, and people felt fairly 
short change. But we've been burnt a number of times. That's why people are a bit wary these days. I mean, even when Manchester United came out to play Socceroos uh, in the 90s, remember, and suddenly Fergie didn't rock up. He's a, he's a manager. Beckham didn't rock up. There was a whole stack of them yeah. didn't turn up. Henningberg was yeah. playing. And, I didn't, and, didn't pay to go watch that. And I think, didn't they open the doors? They just opened the doors for free for people that either got their money that back. That was the or, Brazil game. Yeah. Oh, was it? Okay. That was so, the Brazil game. Yeah. People felt so cheesed yeah. off. That... And, but look, after the ICC games that have been played here in pre-season, I mean, when I saw Ronaldo here with Real Madrid and I've seen some other big players that come, I think we're much better in making sure that if these guys are fit and healthy, that they're here to play. Suarez came and played. Gerard yep. at Liverpool. That was, True. And that was a great night. Yeah. Still one of the great nights. 9-4-2-9-11-16 to join the conversation. Hey, just a couple of things about what to expect tomorrow morning too. We have some, some fixtures in the Champions League. The other result last night we should mention as well was Benfica at home to Borussia Dortmund with a 1-0 result. So that will go back to... Uh, Dortmund are a bit unlucky there. I think they had a few chances. Uh, your man, uh, Abelie Mayang, yeah. uh, missed a penalty. But missed also, it. Yeah, missed he it. hit it straight down the Absolutely. middle. Like but he missed an open goal before that too. So I think he's had, he's had a, uh, maybe a bit of a stomach bug from the African Nations Cup or something. But uh, uh, they, they, were, uh, they were a bit unlucky, I thought. And the, uh, the home leg, I think, that they'll get the job done against Benfica. So tomorrow morning, Real Madrid and Napoli, Bayern Munich versus Arsenal. Get the rosary beads out for that one. Bayern <laughs> Leverkusen, Atletico. And uh, Manchester City take on league uh, leaders, yep. AS Monaco, who are in good form. Without uh, Gabriel Jesus, uh, the Brazilian boy they got from Palmeiras, who's been on fire, but uh, got injured on the weekend, unfortunately. What a shame, because I was waiting for the Manchester City fans to start the chant for him to the tune of Depeche Mode's Personal Jesus, because it, <laughs> it just is begging to be a terror song. Yeah, well, it? I mean, this is now uh, Sergio Aguero's uh, future. He's put his own future in out there at Manchester City, so it's interesting uh, how he'll now cope to being the number one striker, because he hasn't been playing with Jesus playing so well for uh, Guardiola. And Guardiola actually has been coming out strongly in the media saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with uh, Serge Aguero when he's got the ball at feet in front of goals. He's probably a bit, one of the best strikers in the world and he's like that, but he just does nothing for us when we don't have the ball. And he's a guy that wants to keep hey. that intensity up the whole time. Well, he, wasn't that always the, his yeah. philosophy with, a, with a, the best Barcelona teams? I think they gave themselves, they had a seven-second rule. Yep. The seven-second rule was, if we do not get the ball back within seven seconds, we're not doing our job. So if you, if you was yep. it the 2005 Champions League final against Manchester United, which I still think is the high watermark of that, where they completed yep. over a thousand passes mm. and were just dazzling. Yep. That's what he demands for his teams. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and he's doing that. I mean, in England, that work rate is understood. I think that seven-second rule has been around for decades, but it's whether you can enforce it, whether you can actually, the players are able to do it and they can work together because it's no good one person just pressing and two just sort of standing around doing nothing. They've all got to go together. They're all got to be buzzing around and really putting pressure on the opposition. And Sergio Aguero, he's really reluctant. He's even come out and said at different times, look, I've done fine in my career not doing any of that dirty work, uh, but it's just not suiting Pep Guardiola at the moment. And every Wednesday we share some time with Carlos Alberto Diego talking football, the world game. Um, we've been talking about stuff from uh, overseas, but a little closer to home, Sunday afternoon, W League final, and Melbourne City uh, timed their run to perfection. Unbelievable. I mean, they went through that slump in the middle of the season where I think they lost four in a row. Uh, Joe Montemuro met, uh, moved from his, uh, you know, the head coach of the women's team to a senior assistant under Mike Volcanis. 
Uh, Patty Kisnorbo started assisting uh, Jess Fishlock, who's the captain, and she did a brilliant captain coaching job. They got out of that slump, got a bit of momentum just before the finals, just creeped into the top four, and then a uh, brilliant win over Canberra United, uh, you know, in extra time the week before, and then went to Perth and won 2 0. Jess Fishlock, unbelievable again. What a leader she is, and uh, and I think she's been celebrated well since since the weekend. Yeah, they won both their games on the road too, so they won the title the hard way to back up last year's title success where they went through unbeaten. So superb performance from the Melbourne City W League girls. Uh, just on it though, it was interesting. So they had 5,000 or thereabouts mm. at the game, and it, you had to pay to get into that, which is a bit different to the AFLW. So that's a pretty good turnout in Perth. But the numbers on the tally for the W League final were super impressive. I, you know, we were talking last week, I think, Francis, about uh, people... Um, the way they got on board with the AFLW, you know, first round, and they almost celebrated the the game, and they celebrated the women's involvement, and uh, everyone just got behind it. And so you saw big numbers, not only watching but also getting to the games. I felt in the last week, it sort of jolted the football family or the soccer family in a way that say, yeah, we've got a really good competition. It's been going since 2009. We've got some really good teams. I might just switch on. It helps that it was on the ABC, by the way, because I think they've got 450,000 watching there. and Oh, sorry, 275,000 watching there and 120 or so watching on Fox. Nearly four and a half, four, 450,000 people watching it on TV. Uh, and... You know, suddenly people are celebrating the girls' game. I mean, social media was going crazy while that game was on. Everyone was interacting and, and talking about the performances and so forth. So maybe it's jolted, uh, you know, soccer to, to start respecting and valuing the, the women's game that we've got. It has in a way. But at the same time, given the Matildas are our most successful national team in a sense, mm. and they've uh, done so well across a number of World Cups, uh, they haven't played since the World Cup. Yeah. So the FFA, in trying to manage all its competing priorities, whether it's the A-League, the Socceroos, and and our Ollieroos and whatnot, it hasn't been able to put its most successful team into the marketplace or find a way for them to play. And that's a missed opportunity because if there's one thing that football offers that, say, AFLW doesn't, it is the chance to play on the world stage, to be at a World Cup, to you know, to score a goal against a Brazil or something on the international stage, and we're not selling that too, mm. you know, into the marketplace. And I think that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, we did have that game where the girls were striking, if you remember, um, and they were supposed to play the Americans. Um, yes, and, and, a and the girls, series, yeah, but that was over in America. Uh, so that sort of because the girls uh, basically walked out and they didn't want to play, uh, suddenly that took away from it. But look, they had that, I'm not for one minute saying that they did the wrong thing. They have to stand up for their rights too and they got a bit of deal in eventually anyway. But uh, look, we get back to the, the whole issue about the FFA running everything with fewer resources. Uh, we know that right now they're talking to all the stakeholders. Uh, they've got to uh, you know, rethink their con- constitution in March. Uh, they've got to increase this Congress they met with the state federations on Monday. I think they met with the chairman for three hours on uh, on Tuesday. They've got the players' union on 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 the weekend. They've got to meet. Uh, you know, I used to argue the fact that we don't need an independent A League. You know, this is a few years ago, thinking that we're still not ready for it. Now it's absolutely imperative that the FFA start relinquishing some of these things so they can look after the branding and the exposure of the Matildas and the Socceroos. And, and even though it's not, it's not too bad with the Socceroos, but with the Matildas and, and all the other things they've got to do by branding and marketing the game and let other people look after the A-League. I know it's more complicated than that, but I really feel now that everyone's at that point where it has to happen. 
John's given us a call from Greensboro. We're happy to talk to you as well. 94291116. Carlos Alberto Diego is with us here on 1116 SEN today. And it is North Melbourne Membership Day too. If you're an AFL fan, uh, buy a three-game membership. We'll upgrade you to a free 11-game membership for 2017. That'll save you 100 bucks. Offer valid only for today. Don't hold back. Quote SEN to claim. one three hundred Kangas is the number. John in Greensboro, g'day. G'day, fellas. Thank you. Look, just in relation to the renaissance of um, the women's uh, world game, look, I've watched some of the AFL, um, some of the AFL teams play, and in every team there is probably a handful of girls uh, who are actually very good technically. But the rest of them, you know, there's still a fair way to go. When I'm watching the world game and I'm watching the ladies play, technically, guys, they are very, very good. Not as intense as the men's game, but it's actually getting there. And technically, they are really, really up there. And that's the difference. What it's done to me, if I watch sport on TV, I want to watch it at the highest level. So, you know, I really enjoy the women's game because it is. But the, the, the AFL in the, in the ladies... It's still got a way to go for mine. And that, uh, and I think that's accepted by all the pundits out there. Everyone was talking about the fact that, you know, uh, there was a lot of uh, excitement around the first round of the AFLW and everyone, I mean, the girls had a real go. I did notice this weekend, though, watching some of the games that the, the skill level is very, very quite low. I mean, the kicking and marking and stuff like that, but still watchable, which I, I still watch the AFL women's game. But you're right there, uh, John. Uh, the, the, the work that's been done in women's football soccer over the years and the, the, the talent ID programs and some of the young kids coming through now. I know that Alan Sasich has uh, just announced the, the, the latest Matilda squad. It's a transition squad with a lot of younger ones coming in. They all can play. Great athletes. Fantastic athletes. And with a bit of mongrel too, Francis. And that's all you want and when you're watching Australian these games. Tradition. Absolutely. Carlos Alberto Diego talking the world game with me here. Uh, let's take it closer to home. Melbourne victory Monday night. They got a point in uh, in Newcastle, which is their grave. They? they never <laughs> it win is. there. It is. <laughs> it is. But they usually lose. So That's I suppose it was a win in, in some respects. Uh, I don't know. It's like listening to Kevin Musket in the press conference afterwards. I, I, I actually do enjoy listening to Kevin because he's, he's generally quite, he's quite honest about what happened during the game. And, uh, and it's one of those games where, and he had one a couple of weeks ago where it's just can't really understand what happened because the boys were terrific the week before. They've been terrific for a couple of weeks and suddenly they put a performance in where passes don't, aren't accurate and uh, you know guys like Andrew Hill is looking like Messi against the uh, victory's back line and uh, you know, they, there's gaps everywhere and it, it just seemed like they were so off their game and I just wonder where the gap between them and Sydney is so great now that they've almost, even though he says they're chasing, he's trying to chase them down, whether it's, look, we're not too concerned about chasing Sydney. They're just too far ahead. They're too good for us. And let's just try and maybe, uh, you know, get ourselves ready for a final series in about eight weeks' time. Oh, we spoke with Kevin yesterday on the program after Monday night's footy, and uh, he was talking about it. A little bit frustrated with how the game played out, but uh, they lived to tell the tale. You look at games, you analyse games, and you think to yourself, well, you know, this is going to be uh, the team uh, best suited, you know, uh, you know, and that on our left-hand side there, right-hand side, you know, we believe some pace would have been, um, you know, very beneficial to us, but uh, we didn't really get to see that come to fruition because we didn't keep the ball uh, for anywhere long enough. So do you look back and say, well, that didn't work, or did you not get an opportunity to see if it worked? 
That was Kevin Musket with us on 1116 SEN after the scoreless result against Newcastle. They go to the Central Coast, who are in good form at the moment uh, on a Sunday afternoon. It'll be live on 1116 SEN. No easy task there at the, the Blue Tongue Stadium for victory now. Yes, the Roy O'Donovan uh, is on fire at the moment. They won three in a row, Central Coast Mariners. And uh, on the weekend, even though West Sydney Wanderers had their moments, uh, Central Coast were, were very direct and they, uh, they get the job done. You know, what a wonderful job Paul Ocon's done with that team. He came in quite late, if you remember, uh, in pre-season. I think he had four weeks of pre-season with them. Uh, and uh, he was, you know, people are asking, why would you take this job? Why? And he goes, no, I really believe that we can do something something with his team. And he is uh, an evangelist of, uh, of Ange Postacoglu's methods too. Ange is almost a, a mentor to him. So you can just see what he's trying to do there. And even when they haven't played well at different times and they've got beaten, he'll come out and say, look, We've got what we wanted out of this game by way of performance, and that's what's really important. So rare this season where they've played so badly that he walks away sort of shaking his head. It's more uh, those moments that they're trying to solve, and at the moment they're doing, they're doing quite well. And you know what I love? We've got at the moment four of the of the bigger coaches, five of the bigger coaches in the A-League, all former Socceroos legends. Yeah, Ocon, yeah. one of my all-time favourites. Uh, Tony uh, Popovich is he's having some tough times at the Western Sydney Wanderers. Kevin here in Melbourne, mm. uh, and uh, it goes on from there. Graham Arnold in Sydney, yep. and John Aloisi in Brisbane. Yeah. So that's great for the game as well that our that our soccer legends are are progressing into becoming good coaches. Yeah, and they're not just getting the job because of their name. No, uh, they're actually they've done their apprenticeships. Oh well, John Aloisi probably didn't do his apprenticeship as well. He did the hard way but, yeah. by going in, yeah, um, at Melbourne Heart. That could have that could have ended his whole coaching yes. career in in the one you know sort of stint there. But uh, he was gutsy enough to come back and do what he's done with Brisbane. And Brisbane are a terrific team now. They just they're almost in his image as far as the determination they play with and and the way they go about it. So, what are you getting a sense of before we talk about Melbourne City? And that was a good comeback from them on the mm. weekend about John Aloisi and Adelaide United. The possibility that he might. Brother Ross, take everything home. Because it, yeah, Ian Moore's surely not going to hang on to that gig. No, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'll be surprised. And it'll be a more little move, by the way. I think they've respected him enough for him to make that decision. Uh, he hasn't signed. A, uh, they've put a contract in front of him. He hasn't signed it. He, he actually says he doesn't deserve a written contract at the moment. He's the sort of bloke who would probably move on himself. So suddenly there's a gap there at Adelaide. There's always, I mean, it's, it, it's automatic. The romance is that the Aloisi brothers go back home uh, where they grew up and they take over the hometown team. Maybe you should put in a call to Aurelio Bidmar and ask him <laughs> what happens when you do that. Well, that's the thing. I think that they're guys that, yes, there is a bit of romance, but they're, they're road-tested footballers. John Aloisi's a tough nut. Ross Aloisi, tough nut. Romance. They're, they're the Malachi brothers yeah, of Australia. Yeah, that's right. But their romance is not necessarily at the top of their list when they make a decision. And I and I think that they're really enjoying what they're doing in Brisbane at the moment. So, yeah, it's not automatic, but you know those romant, romantics of uh, around uh, would would want that to happen. I think Melbourne City came back from two 0 down with a makeshift squad against Brisbane. Uh, Jamie yeah. McLaren had uh, put two in the net by the time they scored their first goals. Good good performance from City. The kids, you know, the kids came in. They all did well. I thought when they went down two 0 that you know that's just too much for the kids to come back and and do what they need to do. But they did. They came back and they they uh, in the end they could have won the game. We got to remember Brisbane were at the end of a you know the. What, five games in 15 days or something like that. And uh, I think you could see John Aloisi at the end of the game saying he was really pleased with the performance rather than slagging his players for letting go a two-goal lead. He sort of said, we didn't lose the game and it's been a marathon five games in 15 days. So uh, I think it's a good result for both. But, you know, that 
gives Melbourne City a little bit more confidence about what's developing below this team. A lot of those kids won't be playing this week. The, the, the guys who are out in suspension will come straight back in, but at least we know that they can fill in when they need to. So they have Wellington Phoenix on the road at Westpac Stadium in Wellington this uh, Saturday evening. Mm, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one too. Wellington, you know, at home have uh, you know, beaten victory and, and you know, played a lot better this year under, you know, under Buckingham and, uh, and the other coach uh, that's taken over there. And uh, and I just think that uh, it's not an easy game. And City don't always perform all that well there. And Sorison, that's where he got sent off at the start of the year. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, they cannot afford a bad performance, especially with the with the first teamers coming back. Sydney derby this weekend as well. Western Sydney and Sydney FC. We're talking with uh, Jonathan Howcroft last hour about 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 sunk costs. And what we mean by that is there's a lot invested in Tony Popovich's mm. success winning the Asian Champions League. And therefore, it feels like he has a longer tenure at Western Sydney than would otherwise be suggested by results. Uh, Western Sydney have had a really ordinary year. Four wins from 19 starts and uh, just don't look anywhere near the team that the club with huge expectations, uh, uh, massive supporter base would expect. When's he under pressure? Well, that's the thing. Like the Sydney media, really, they're just intimidated by Tony Popovich, either because he snaps back at them in, in press conferences or alternatively, they're just his mates. And they just don't scrutinise his performance. I mean, what he's come out after getting beaten by Central Coast Tunnel, which would be a disaster by most people, uh, what he's come out and said, we can win every game from now on to make the finals and we even win the grand final. I mean, really, who's questioning that? And he's getting away with it and good on him. He's getting away with it. It's up to the media now to really put a bit more pressure on them because they've been poor. Four wins out of 19, like you said, and losing against Central Coast Mariners, that's generally crisis point. It is. And for the A-League, you know, it loves its derbies. It's, yeah. Any sort of success it's had in the last few years has been the introduction of the Western Sydney Wanderers and the success, the growing success of Melbourne City. Those intercity derbies now are massive. Mm. So if Western Sydney Wanderers turn out to be a bit of a bust this year in this final derby as Sydney FC are unbeaten, it's not good. Yeah. It, They've it's got to lift their game. Did you see the banner that was put up by the West Sydney Wanderers fans? It's a huge banner. Like, it had three or four people had to hold this banner up and all it said was, shoot! <laughs> because they just, they're hopeless in front of goals. They just will not pull the trigger in front of goals. They have heap of ball in midfield. Uh, they, they've got a sieve defence, which doesn't help them. But their midfield they is... They don't have a striker. They, and that, they just can't. I mean, Sandalab's got eight, but the next one's Martinez on three or four. And uh, so, you know, it's, it, they're a club that have escaped scrutiny. And uh, it's got to come a time. When uh, when Tony Popovich gets under pressure, I well, think. It's ANZ Stadium, should be a big crowd. It's the can, LMO. Can they end up beating Sydney FC? Breaking, that would love I keep it. on saying they're due for a loss, but <laughs> they Bad just don't lose. Hey, good on you, Carlos. Thanks, mate.